Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 317. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, Ross Jedi Jay, and as always, it's so wonderful to be back here with all you beautiful babies in the L5J studios. This week on the show, we feature a guest who has been a long time coming. Far overdue to sit down for a good whole episode and have a great conversation with this individual. He's a bit of a legend in the independent community. You may know him through his independent horror films, his acting, his writing. Uh, He's an absolute renaissance man. His name is David C. Hayes, a wonderful individual who I got to know a few years ago. Uh, He's been up to Toronto for Fan Expo in the past, so you may have had a chance to meet him if you're in the area and a Fan Expo attendee. Uh, David has a book from SourcePoint Press Publishing. It's called Rotten Tale, and it has been recently made into a feature film starring Corin Nemec of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. We're going to talk all about that. And currently, as in presently, he has a Kickstarter going for a very cool-looking new book called Kringle, a revenge story. So you need to get on Kickstarter and check that out. But we're going to talk all about that. Kringle, Rotten Tail, Captain Canuck, uh, of which he grew up uh, a really big fan. And it's very, very cool. So we talk about tons of cool stuff. Uh, it was an absolute honor to get to sit down and have a fun chat with David C. Hayes. I hope you all enjoy. Uh, it's good to speak with you. It's been a while. Yeah, I'm glad to finally make it on this elusive podcast that everyone <laughs> I know has been on. Well, in that case, uh, shall we just get straight into it then? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm hanging out with Mr. David Hayes. And it has been, as you just said, uh, far long overdue since we had... Uh, I think you've been on once or twice, popped in on Motor City Comic Con stuff and... Uh, you know, quick little artist Sally chats, but we have yet to actually sit down and dedicate an entire episode of an elegant weapon to the legend that is David Hayes. An entire episode, God. I mean, the sad part is, like, I'm probably like the second most famous person to ever sleep in your house, and it took <laughs> this long. And I'm only second famous because I'm pretty sure that Fosgett's going to snap and kill some prostitutes at some point. You know, uh, he may not snap as quickly as we have all anticipated. Uh, <laughs> a public congratulations. He actually, he just bought a home. Yes. And, yeah, he closed on his house. Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Uh, little Jay Fosgett's growing up on us. And it's so weird. <laughs> it's cool. I think it's what's going to turn into. Uh, Remember when you saw Jerry Mathers as an adult and you're like, oh, <laughs> well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> Yeah, there was that string, uh, that uh, that period where he was on a string of, like, sitcoms. He would just show up for the tiniest cameos. But he did, like, within, like, two years, it felt like he was showing up on every show on television. You know, you get that small window of relevancy, you just snag it. Oh, Get it, Jerry, get it. Absolutely. We're kind of living in 
an era of the you know over extortion of that kind of idea right now you know it's you see people at comic cons that you're like what like really like yeah you, you made a cameo on some show back in 1962 and now you're actually somehow making a late second career out of talking about it you know Right. Yeah, that, well, you know, you've just kind of described me a little too. <laughs> so there's that, but you know, it's you know, th- there's also revitalized careers like today in San Diego. Uh, who would you be speaking of today? I'd be speaking of Corin Nemec of Parker Lewis Can't Lose fame <laughs> was in San Diego right Comic Con. Eh? Oh, and, oh, yeah, well, I, I've got to maximize my time. It was a good segue though, and uh, an Corin, Corin was in uh, San Diego th- today. Um, signing copies of Rotten Tail, my graphic novel, before the movie comes out that he stars in. So that's kind of uh, some some BA land right there. That's crazy exciting, man. Uh, but let's lay a little bit of groundwork for the people out there who have no fucking idea who you are. Three of them. All three of them, yes. <laughs> uh, the origins of the great David Hayes, do they begin in Michigan? I was bitten by a radioactive moose. And that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you just floated across in the river one time? I, I did, after uh, senselessly ignoring the death of my Uncle Ben, uh, who was a rice manufacturer. And it's a horrible office. <laughs> a rice manufacturer. So the family was built on rice money. It was, yeah. yeah dirty. We had rice patties in our backyard. In Michigan, that's incredibly difficult. Since you live in Michigan North, you know how hard it is to <laughs> grow rice. It's it's a difficult it's difficult in this climate absolutely I could understand why all the rice smuggling had to go on back in the day. Oh yeah, and, rice emission you know. was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you were born in Michigan, yes? I was. I was. I was born in uh, southeastern Michigan. Um, went to school, all that kinds of neat stuff. Uh, went a little bit crazy. Moved out of the small town. Went to Michigan State University. Go Spartans. Uh, later went to Chicago, met my wife, started in theater, uh, which moved into film, uh, the whole time, uh, you know, writing short stories and novels as well. And, um, eventually figuring out that, uh, I'm a better, uh, writer than an actor. <laughs> that was so beautifully put into a perfect little nutshell. <laughs> but, you know, not my first rodeo. Cause I was, yeah, I was wondering, how does David describe who he is and what he's done? Because you have done so much. You're, you are a bit of a Renaissance guy. You've dipped your toe well, into many creative waters, you know? My wife calls it a low Renaissance man. <laughs> are you Don't building a perfect. robot or some shit? What are you doing over there? Right now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Joel, you were just talking about your old laptops. Um, this is the perpetually wheezing <laughs> fan of this laptop. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. People, you'll have to forgive uh, <laughs> Dave's old wheezing laptop. That, and if I was building a robot, I'd be building Blossom just for fun. <laughs> what was that robot on that show? Uh Small Wonder. She was like a girl robot. You remember that? Oh, it's a small wonder. That was a great show, man. That oh, was... gosh. That was a horrible show. And, you know, that's a bit of a way to segue back now that we've kind of just laid it out that you've done tons right. of... <laughs> well, okay, a, li- a few more tiny details. When you say that you got into film, uh, mainly right. it was kind of independent horror films. Yeah, uh, B-horror films. Um, uh, basically, I did about 70 of them. That's uh, fucking over nuts. Over years. <laughs> And uh, topping out in the mid-2000s with a couple of Lionsgate releases. So, uh, like, Machine was one of them, Reborn, um, Sport Kill uh, was a, a really, it was actually pretty big in Japan. 
So, uh, some modicum of, of, of horror street cred, which uh, I expertly parlayed into snowing Travis McIntyre into giving me writing jobs. Nice. So was it a coincidence that you ended up in the horror genre because the opportunity presented itself or were you a horror fiend as a kid? I was a horror fiend. I was the, I was the Fango and Gore Zone collecting freak. Uh, parents could barely look at me because I was such an <laughs> abhorrent thing. And I love the stuff, and I and I uh, gravitated to uh, uh, like seventies and and well at the time they were semi current, seventies uh, and eighties uh, horror and exploitation stuff. I absolutely loved all of it, the the slasher genre, all the way back to like the cannibal holocausts, and and uh, uh, I have a deep love for uh, original Universal monsters as well. So all these things were were building up, and I, I would seek out these opportunities. Uh, and like I said, starting in Chicago, and my first acting job actually in Chicago was a, a musical stage version of Carrie, a Stephen nice. King's Carrie. Yeah, it was a cross-gendered version. So <laughs> we had a, a male <laughs> sissy Spacek impersonator that was absolutely tremendous. I played Norma, PJ Soul's character. And uh, my wife, actually, the first time she saw me on stage, I was uh, throwing tampons at a <laughs> sissy Spacek impersonator yelling, plug it up in a bra. Nice. Well, maybe you can help me out with something. How far back do you remember your love and discovery of horror going? Uh, gosh, all the way. That's one of my first memories. Uh, three and four years old. Really? Like, everything else is really cloudy from on there. But I have a, a my mom saved it. I have a book that I wrote and illustrated when I was four. Uh, about uh, a kid going into a haunted house and finding Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and uh, escaping by giving them cookies. <laughs> nice, man. Which, I, th- I think a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of kids had that uh, moment in grade three. I wrote a story that involved all of them because every kid had to write a story that involved all of them. Like yes. even even back then, we were wanting the Avengers to assemble as much as we could. There was something that was the about first shared universe, you know? wasn't it? Yeah, totally, man. It totally so was. I've got a seven-year-old son, right? Yeah, and he is a horror freak. Yes, and I haven't let him watch horror movies. I know he's snuck what he can on the YouTubes, uh, <laughs> but he is fanatic, and it's all the you know the tops, you know Chucky, Freddy, Jason, Mike Myers. He knows them all. He knows their backgrounds. He knows all the movies. He knows the dates each movies came out. He knows who's, yeah. who who played the different characters. Yet he's never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street or a Friday the Thirteenth. Yet he's all about it so i'm like okay i didn't expect this because i was never a horror kid freak you know his mom's not a horror freak it's it's totally out of left center so i'm starting to to try to figure out what i can let him watch and stuff you know well you know he's probably not going to be interested in the slow black and white stuff no, he's not. Like, the Universal Monsters to him are Freddy and Jason. <laughs> so here's the thing. That's how see, old we are. <laughs> see what he does with, like, the Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing hammer stuff. True. That That's vibrant colors. It's a little more fast-paced. And, uh, uh, you know, it's Count Dooku and Grandma yeah. Kirk. Yeah, totally. Well, there's, you know, I'm try- I've tried to think of things that are, that are kind of like, because it's such a blurred world nowadays. You know, there's some movies that you're like, I can't believe that wasn't rated r and some you can't believe <laughs> right. aren't, you know it's it's totally crazy shit that comes out these days so i don't know i just try to keep them on the video game console then keep them going on that that's something you <laughs> potentially make some money at one day so 
as a video game tester. He's it's all about that Fortnite, you know Fortnite that's going on. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's obsessed. He'll play as much as I let him, which is way too much. But he's really good. <laughs> he really is really good. And he gets his he's got his headphones and his little head mic set and he like brings teams together and he's coaching them out and he's like running like plays and you know, tactics and stuff and That's crazy. <laughs> One day he was playing crazy and Dave no shit, I said to him, I was like Maybe you should get off. You play for like eight hours. You play it all day. It's Saturday. Let's go out and, you know, get outside or something. And he turns to me and he says, Dad, you know how rich this is going to make us one day? <laughs> and I was like, my God, it really is. Like, they're so motivated by their YouTube heroes nowadays that they right. will, they, you know, they push. Like, I had to make them a YouTube channel. My seven-year-old. It's it's not like where we used to watch TV. My kid, I got rid of cable. Because we just weren't watching it between Netflix and my kid being on YouTube. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a different world. They're growing up where they're watching a type of TV where they can literally have their own channel on that TV. Yeah. And they can just make content at home. It's going to be so easy for them from such a, a young age. Meanwhile, I'm sure for you, it was pen and paper and typewriter and having to mail stuff out, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Mailing stuff out. Um, you know, the the invention of the video camera was an amazing thing. Oh, the camcorder. <laughs> yeah. You start making movies then. Oh, my God. The movies me and my cousins made up at the cottage. I made a movie called The Texan and the Terminator. Well, of course you did. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was the Texan, total Clint Eastwood style, and uh, my cousin Matt was the Terminator. And it was, we just made a big, awesome, cool chase scene, right? It was like a 15 minute, just all this you know, <laughs> fun stuff kids would do at the cottage through the woods and whatever. And then, of course, we did where we taped the TV screen with the camera to be able to put music behind it because we couldn't do that, right? Right. So we'd film the TV screen while we played music on the stereo. So it had a soundtrack and we played like You Could Be Mine and stuff. <laughs> and uh, And then at the very end, it's all because the the terminator wants him to return his library books well yeah because yeah, you know that's that's the uh, the teenage yeah. twist ending that's all you need right and like we're we, i'm talking like 10 11 years old like not even teenage you know <laughs> but that that was fun stuff so what was your first do you have step? flannery o'connor nice. do you have flannery o'connor <laughs> how'd you go from stage to film uh so i was a big ed wood fan Oh, uh, me, too. Been, uh, me too. I wrote a actually I wrote a, a book about his novel right. He was the you know, one of the most prolific novel writers in American history. Although yeah, not yeah. people know that, yeah. and uh, he wrote like a hundred novels, two hundred novels, all smut, just horrible, awful smut. Right, right. So I wrote a book called Muddled Mind: The Complete Works of Edward D. Wood Jr. Uh, the, it came out a bunch of years ago. From, I didn't uh, know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, but I, I saw I was reading through the the Reader in Chicago, which is one of those free newspapers. And in the back page of the reader, sometimes they had auditions. And I saw that someone was looking for a Tor Johnson. Like, hey, wait a minute. Right. And this, this is pre-Ed Wood, too. So uh, this is 1998. We're in the, still in the 20th century. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for this. I'm, I could be Tor Johnson. I love Tor Johnson. Of course, for those who don't know, Tor Johnson was the big bald wrestler in Plan 9 from Outer Space, uh, Bride of the Monster, Night of the Ghouls. Um, the classic Ed Wood stuff. Uh, and so they were filming uh, an adaptation of one of Ed Wood's novels called Devil Girls. 
and I got the part. Um, I shaved my head bald, and I walked around in a pair of seersucker pants, no shirt on, mumbling stuff uh, like Tor Johnson did. That's awesome, and man. <laughs> was, so, yeah, I, I played a Tor Johnson, uh, a Lobo was his character, in uh, Devil Girls, uh, in The Vampire's Tomb, uh, a follow-up to that. And I actually got to play uh, Tor Johnson one last time in a, a Calabrese music video. Uh, something, <laughs> something of the scream of the night or some crap like that. I don't oh, know that's that. golden, man. Yeah, Brian Polito directed it. of all people. That's crazy, man. Like, yeah. are you done with it? You think you'll ever be on screen again? I'm probably not going to. I turned down a role in Rotten Tail. Okay, so that's enough wishy-washiness, I guess. Let's get into the meat of it. And as we were saying in the beginning. Rotten Tail, uh, yeah. starring Corin Nemec, which is a movie that is going, well, it's kind of released. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, starring Corin Nemec of yep. Parker Lewis Can't Lose, a show I was absolutely obsessed with as a child. He was wonderful show. The, the coolest, coolest, coolest fucking. And Dominique movie. Swain. She yes, stars and Dominique well. Swain. And uh, of... Billy McNamara. Oh, really? Yep. How did that one slip by me? Well, you know. That's weird. So, anyways, this is based on a comic book that you wrote for Sourcepoint Press. Uh, well, the the history of Rotten Tail is is, is really kind of crazy. Oh, oh uh, right. So it started out as the screenplay. Uh, in we're gonna say a, a year here that's gonna date myself. Oh, really? In two thousand and two, it was a screenplay, and it was shopped all over. Uh, there was a bunch of interest in it, then no interest, and some interest and some non-interest and by 2006 i just said fuck it this sucks uh so i got a hold of kurt belcher uh who's a wonderful artist uh he's worked on a bunch of different stuff for me and other people as well and and we decided to put it together as a three-issue miniseries and the three-issue miniseries got signed uh to god where was it old alterna really yeah and uh, they, they they read it all. They signed it. It was a solicited in diamond. And then they said, nah, we don't feel like it. So, you know, no orders. Not many orders came in. And granted, it had a pretty horrible cover. So I just printed it up myself. I had maybe, you know, 50, 60 copies of it out there in the world. And I had to move back to Michigan for family reasons from the West Coast. So uh, I had this copy with me. And I met Travis from SourcePoint. I'm like, here, he wants to want to publish this pile of crap. Because, <laughs> and no one seems to want it. And he's like, yeah. So they they did a cover with a they used a, a pinup in it which was a Michael Bracco cover, uh, Michael Bracco pinup and uh, put that on the cover and it started to sell like crazy. Sometimes moving. that's all it takes, eh? Yeah, uh, and then I was uh, repped at the time, or still am actually, uh, uh, as a screenwriter by uh, uh, Shoreline Entertainment. Okay. And they're they said, well, you got any properties? And I'm like, here, you talk to Travis. You know, he's got a bunch of properties. He's a publisher. He's got tons of stories. And they decided to move forward with uh, Rotten Tail. And I uh, got to, uh, to get my uh, very good friend Brian Skiba to direct it. I produced Blood Moon Rising for Brian. And uh, uh, we wrote a film called Crushed Velvet together. And uh, I appeared in that's going to be out sometime in the future. It's an old one that, you know, it's been in post-production for a million years. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, really good friends with Brian, and uh, he called and he directs a lot of films for Lifetime and um, uh, other Hallmark, 
a bunch of if there's a Dean Kane movie that's a Christmas movie, oh, chances dude, are you Ryan have to, it. You have the weirdest fucking career. <laughs> oh, you're telling me, man. You live it, on this this line, this this edge of teetering one way or the other. Like one day it could absolutely explode for you, and maybe right? another day it's just like B movie legend. It's like. Or in the next day, I'm washing some old man's underwear because you know, that's how it works. <laughs> I like I've talked to some like when I you know when I first heard about you and you know the days when I first met you way back in the day and because you know I'd heard about you before I had the chance to meet you because I don't think I met you at my first Motor City Comic Con. I can't no, remember for sure. Your first Motor City Comic Con, I was probably appearing with the Great Lakes Association of Horror Writers. Okay. Because I wasn't in SourcePoint. Well, I was, but, you know, I had a, a, a couple of prior commitments. And that was before. That's when SourcePoint was just Josh and Trico, too. Right. Well, I guess they were in promo mode, right? And really excited to, like, yeah, work yeah. with you or whatever. So when I learned about you, it was like the retelling of this fucking legend. It was like, oh, this dude's been, like, 70s movies, fine, blah, blah, blah. Like, everything we just talked about, right? Right. And you're and like, was, no way. There's no I way. I was like, this guy's going to be interesting, you know? And... Well, and then I met you, and you're just like, yeah, no, I'm nobody. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Which is totally true. You have such a beautiful humility to it all, and you should be pretty proud of all the crazy shit you've done. Man. I'm incredibly pleased with the with the life I've led. Uh, it, you know, I mean, success is in the eye of the beholder, of course. Um, you know, financially, it, it, at one point, you know, this crap bought me a house and paid my bills and and all right. kinds of neat stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, all things come to an end at some point and I had to change gears. So, you know, I would, I mean, I, I don't, I think I, I think I pretty much peaked as an actor in the mid two thousands with the Lionsgate stuff. You seem to have a f far bigger passion for writing anyways, though. Always did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. always did. And I was always right. I mean, a bunch of the films I'm in, I, I wrote, um, there's a bunch of films that I wrote that are just out there in the world and completely butchered by some filmmakers too. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah. but I, the, the whole thing was just to have fun at first. And then I figured, well, here, here's how I got my first writing job. I uh, went to film school in Chicago at Columbia College. And I'm in there and I'm in a, a class with a buddy of mine, Greg Elder. And we've remained friends uh, ever since, you know, the mid 90s. And we're in this lighting class and just shit is going wrong. The teacher's not showing up. We're not learning things. And he and I had been working on different music videos uh, across town before, you know, as, as grips and gaffers and lighting designers. So we're pretty much teaching this class. And uh, I get fed up. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not I'm not going to stick around at this school. Uh, I can go learn and be on my own. So he got us booked. He got booked as the first AD. And I got booked as the key grip on a movie called Shower of Blood. Which, awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which you can you can get today. Uh, it's uh, a vampire movie uh, with a bunch of uh, Playboy Playmates and play play penthouse things. And that's how they sold it to us. What they really were were the girls in the back and the ads. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Let's just lead, spin that a little. <laughs> yeah, just a little. I mean, they, well, it got us all there. And the right. lead actress was Leah Matalango. I will never forget that name. Uh, and her claim to fame was she was one of the, the, the – so you play video games. Who was the chick in the red in Mortal Kombat? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. She was her body double. 
Okay. She, she was the video game body double for that. And she had like these generation one fake boobs that look like, you know, M&M staple gun to her chest. Like nice. this is, this is years and years fake ago. Fat old underscars. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, I hear you, man. I've got I a horrible you. underscar story for later, no, but that, that's a horrible this, movie. this moves on. And so, uh, we're shooting this here. And one of the other women in the, in the film is a horrible human being. She's awful. She's treating people like crap. We've been shooting for like six days and they got a bunch of footage with her, but they have to fire her. She's just that horrible of a person. So I'm hauling, I'm hauling cable up the stairs when I hear the producers talking and like, you know, we got a bunch of footage with her. We're going to need like a page one on this to, to have this make sense. We have to rewrite this whole thing to have that footage incorporated into what we've got going on. And I dropped the cable. I'm like, I'm your guy. I'll do it. Nice. So they're like, all right, because they had to get it done that day. I mean, there's no resume. Hey, seize the opportunity, man. Hell yeah. Right. right. And so they put me in an office, and I I would run out, and I'd light the scene that we're about to shoot, and I'd run back in the office, and I would uh, crank out some pages and hand them over my shoulder, uh, literally, while they were setting up the other scene. And we we shot this uh, shower of blood. We were there for 28 days. It was a 28-day shoot. Um, that's so Ed Wood. Oh, that's so Ed Woodian. <laughs> yeah, it's actually one of the longer shoots I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool shit, man. Just a, a quick story that that makes me think of is uh, Mark Dodson is the voice of Salacious Crumb and the Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, I've been lucky enough to get to know him a little and do some panels with him, and he got that job. He was a laborer on Skywalker Ranch, mm-hmm. and he was like a carpenter guy. So he's lugging around lumber, and he was building the sound booth that they were going to use to do the recording, right? Now, when he used to work and he's just hauling around wood or whatever, he would make these weird, funny little sounds to himself, <laughs> as, as you do, you know, most people right. sing or whatever, but he would make these voices and these strange little cackling sounds, and... The the head sound guy at the time, he was in with George Lucas and they're talking about, you know, what this little monkey creature going to sound like. And the guy said, you know, there's this worker down there <laughs> who makes these like kind of weird sounds. And George's like, all right, let me hear him. So they recorded him and he heard them and he loved it. He's like, all right, perfect. And he ended up making the sound booth with his own bare hands that he ended up recording the voice of salacious crumman. That's beautiful. Isn't that great? Just right time for no reason, you know, just being goofy or whatever. And then he got hired on as to do the gremlins. <laughs> That's the house that he built. Yeah. And he's been doing whatever for how many years. And he was just the fucking carpenter, like fucking Jesus styles and shit, you know? <laughs> so how okay, much work uh, do you think Jesus did? None. I don't think he did you know? any. It's hard I, yeah. to do any work when you don't exist. No, so. he existed. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not sold on you know the prophet and son of God thing. But let's say you know, let's say you think you're the son of God, and your dad says, "Hey, I need you to help me haul lumber and build this hut." Yeah, I'd be like, "Fuck you! I'm the son of God. Mom said so." I mean, the, God, the richy richedness of the kid had to be just so horrible. Yeah, it would have been pretty rough, man. My kid, I, we sent him to a camp this week, right? And because uh, we needed to work and stuff, and normally we just have everything set up for him. So he had to go to this camp, and it was kind of it was Christiany because it was at a church, but it wasn't like you know church camp, right? But you know they would talk about whatever. So 
My kid comes home the other day and he tells me the story of how Adam and Eve's son killed the daughter or something because God asked them to or something. I don't remember. And then he goes, and dad, and then he forgived her. He forgave him or whatever. And I was like, so what's your question, son? And he's like, I don't get that. Why would he forgive that person for murder? Like murdering his daughter. And I just looked at my kid and I was like, that is an excellent question, son. <laughs> and I kind of left him to ponder it, you know? But anyways, that's off topic. What I wanted to talk about before I forget to is a, a little bit of placation for our wonderful Canadian listeners. Uh, you growing up in Michigan right over the border yes. from Detroit and Windsor, people in Michigan have a... Um, I don't know if anybody outside of Windsor or that area realizes how tight the state is to the province and how much oh, back yeah. and forth, uh, not just like actual border crossing, but you guys are the ones who grew up with our television and with our radio and mm-hmm. you guys could catch CBC and, you know, watch, yeah. watch the shows. It's, 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 it's actually crazy that I've learned over my years hanging out in Michigan how familiar in general everybody is. Like there's not much I can bring up to surprise people. Like, you got to pull out that we have bags of milk to actually surprise a Michigander. No, no surprise. So, so uh, anyways, uh, you were a fan of Captain Canuck. Oh, man, so fan. I'm uh, I'm such a fanboy. It's an idiot. And you love to write so much that you, in fact, took it upon yourself. No, you. it's a dream of yours, sorry. Or did yes. you do some on your own? No, I haven't yet. I, I'm go- okay. I am going to. I mean, but you some... used to read them because they used to make the trash novels of Captain Canuck, right? No, no, they never did. Those are no? new. Yeah, the, oh. no- the novels are a new thing. Okay. Yeah, those those are a whole new thing. When I was a kid, all they had was Captain Canuck one through fourteen. Um, eventually, when they all came out, the summer special, which was uh, nineteen seventy four, right. I believe, there was a stamp, a Canadian <laughs> stamp of Captain Canuck. There was. There was. Wow. And a really? stand-up diorama. I have all of that except for the stamp. I never could locate one of those. I will keep an eye and ear open. And uh, you know what? I'll ask the man himself. Uh, Richard Comley's a wonderful guy. If oh, yeah. Did, oh, you, you, he's uh, ever at a show, guys, and you get the chance to meet Richard, absolutely make sure you go over and say hello. I took you to meet him. Unfortunately, he wasn't there at the time. No, you got and a bunch of stuff for me, and that was my segue to beat him in a, a different show. So, oh, you did? Yeah, Talk yep, to me. Tell yep. me. Tell me. Yeah, I dropped your name, and he's like, oh, uh, yeah. He Rich is getting a little older. Who the hell so I was. He, he did remember uh, for a minute. And then, um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I found, I, I, okay, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> Why? So um, I went over to his table. I'm like, hey, you know, um, thank you so much for all your work. I love Captain Canuck. Uh, it really inspired me to get into comics and, and, to, and to love the medium. It was one of the you know, it was on my reading list as a kid, you know, it was like Hulk and Captain Canuck whenever I could get a copy of it. And he's like, oh, well, I'll come by, you know, and see your table one day. You can show me the stuff that I inspired you to make. I'm like, yeah, come on by. Right. You so, told me about this. <laughs> so he's like like living in relative poverty, <laughs> you know, he's not making a ton of money from the cap. And uh, he comes by and I'm like, yeah, this is the rot in uh, the miniseries I did. And there's some movies I did. And, you know, this is Rotten Tail, a graphic novel. It's going to be out in Par- from Paramount in October. And you know, we're really super excited about it. And he's looking at all of it and he's like, oh, so I inspired you, huh? <laughs> oh, I'm just feeling a little dickish about it. But, uh, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a pretty conservative guy. Yeah. Uh he's you know, he's he's one with the Lord uh, and uh you, Mormon, know, you won't right? find 
Yeah, he. Yeah. Uh, I believe so. And you won't find him at a comic con on Sundays. No, no. So uh, no, he doesn't work. He's uh, he's devout, uh, but a wonderful guy. He's, uh, you won't find super... me at a comic con on Sundays because I'm usually hungover. <laughs> different reasons for different <laughs> folks and different strokes that they may take. I right? actually got contracted in the uh, early 2000s to write Mormon movies. Interesting. Yeah, it was in Arizona. I was living in Arizona at the time with a real big Mormon uh, community. Of course you were. Of course and, you uh, would be in Arizona. Of course I would. <laughs> and there was a guy at the time that they called the Mormon Hitchcock. He made really good films. One of them was called uh, Brigham City, which is a, uh, a Mormon horror film that is incredibly well done. And uh, uh, so the, the, they were jumping on the bandwagon. And they wanted uh, films. You know, and so I got, you know, I adapted a couple of Mormon novels and they didn't go anywhere, of course, but, uh, they also didn't pay me, which is uh, oh. kind of indicative of the, uh, I'm not going to go into that one. I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm also bitter now. I hate you, Richard Comley. It's, uh, <laughs> did you ever watch Big Love? Yes. I loved that bloody show, man. That was a good show. Wasn't a huge, huge fan of the ending. Didn't hate it, but it just felt a bit of a cop out. It, yeah, you know. I would have ended it Colorado City style. Like, everyone goes to jail. <laughs> Just forget it all. <laughs> Everyone's going to jail. All right. Well, uh, I think the people have gotten a very good feel for what it is that you do and have done. So we should talk a little bit about what's happening right now. Uh besides rotten tail so actually lay this out for me because yeah. there was a there was a i'm shocked and a little offended that as such a supporter of source point press i mean you know you guys are like family to me and i have not seen this fucking movie yet dave you know who has who me oh no, not the not the finished movie uh we've seen an assembly cut me travis and the director I thought there and, was... Uh, and then Bob and oh, Freddie so were with an, us. there's another cut since after that premiere you guys had? Yeah, that wasn't even... That wasn't a premiere. That was an industry show. So there was, like, oh, just people in there to get uh, to get feedback from. And okay. I, have, I haven't seen anything since that. I know it's, a, it's much shorter than it was, uh, but it's some funny shit, man. I am super nice. excited. Nice. So what, what what's the deal then? When do we get to see it? How's it being released? Well, you do realize that I'm just the writer, right? So I'm like the equivalent of the bass player. I like <laughs> I get women for the roadies is at this point. So I get told nothing. I'm told I, I found out yesterday that we're gonna have a big poster <laughs> signing in San Diego today. Interesting. So you know, I'm not on I'm not on the on, on the on the the forward email I list. I figured you'd have an idea of when this was going to be released well, in some general way to the public. They, they say October, which is cool. Okay, right. Um, they say limited theatrical, which is cool, and that's what I've got so far. There's no way we can't get it played in Toronto. Oh no, no Toronto, yeah, yeah, it's a major market. Toronto. This no, just beyond it being a major market, the 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 opportunities that exist here to show a film anywhere on almost any surface, like right. Actually, you know what? Somebody, uh, it might have been Martin Short, because I've been watching a lot of Marty Short YouTube videos lately. I find him humorous, and he was talking about Canada and Toronto. 
was it it might it was something as simple i can't remember if this was the exact words but it was something about how receptive canadians are to the arts oh yeah and how and how he thought that we were the most receptive country in the world to the arts which at first i was kind of like whoa like really and then i thought about it and i've already always boasted about this myself on this show is how culturally rich and insane it is here as far as art galleries as schools as mm-hmm. museums as you know just opportunities abound and maybe he was right you know so it is that kind of city where you could probably call someone and be like yo i want to show my movie and they'll be like cool oh i, I would agree i mean I, I i largely agree i mean i haven't spent uh, you know much time overseas uh but i do deal with a lot of people uh, over the world that I would say that Canada is at least in the top five of arts receptive countries, much more so than the States. I mean, so much more. It's weird because we're so used to it. You know how you don't really look at yourself in the mirror all that much. Cause it's also we're little Canada compared to your guys constantly looming gigantic shadow in a way. Right. Jesus Christ. I but know, when right? you really think about it, it is, I mean, that's one of the reasons that how many artists we have here from here who are working for the big two at the top levels right now. Oh, like Marvel it's DC. Insane. Yeah. It's insane. It's within an hour of me. You've got Chip Zdarsky. You've got Ken Lashley. You've got, uh, Dave Ross, Ty Templeton, like the list really goes, you know, Jeff Lemire, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. And it's, it's out of control. Uh, the breeding of talent that happens in this area. Well, my it's... favorite film director of all time is Canadian. Who's that? David Cronenberg. I, uh, makes perfect sense. <laughs> my favorite comedian of all time is Canadian. Okay, John Candy. Ah, uh, yeah, that's one that still felt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you were a kid, if if you were around, like I was a kid, sure, but I grew up literally. I grew up on John Candy. Yeah. And it it was no joke how beloved that man was. He walked the streets like a king. Like he didn't act like a king, but you know what I mean. Like right. when he walked down the street, everyone got excited and was happy. And that's because he was a he, happy maker. Yeah. A when fun he bought maker. The, yeah. He bought the Argos, the Toronto Argonauts, or with, Mc, team, with Todd McFarland, yeah, with with uh, Todd McFarland, John Candy, and Dan Aykroyd. Was he in on that? Maybe Aykroyd. I so, think Aykroyd might have been in on that. But either way, he was always on the sidelines, chomping on his big cigar, and everybody just loved him. Like it was you know, ridiculous. Those guys were magic, and within three years of buying the Argos, they won a Grey Cup. Absolutely. Uh, who was it? Was it Doug Flutie? Right. I think so. Right, yeah, because he did no, he was no good in Buffalo. Came to the CFL and then turned the Argonauts around. And... Not, not realizing that Buffalo is just a ghetto, you know, <laughs> a ghetto neighborhood of Toronto. Or did he go to Buffalo after Toronto? Oh, he probably. I don't. Either way. <laughs> hey, you want to you want to hear about an experience I recently had in Buffalo that you may have heard about? Oh, I've heard about this one, but you can retell oh, it. Oh <laughs> my god, I've never experienced anything like this. So, our good friend Travis McIntyre, yeah, you know, driving force behind Source Point Press Publishing. Calls up his buddy Jay, the Jedi Ross, and says, hey, man, we're having a show like an hour away from you. We're doing a show. Why don't you come on down? 
I was like, yeah, I'll fucking <laughs> run your table, right? So I head on down there. I meet up uh, with Torontonian Mr. Devin Wong, new to the ranks of Source Point Press. Nice kid. As w- a, a great, great guy. As well as uh, the bro, the brother, uh, Levi McIntyre. So we go to the show. Oh, and also Josh, of course. Josh Sobeck. But it's, uh, I believe that weekend it became Sobeckian. He is now the Sobeckian. Which is, it fits for him. He's been dubbed such. Yes, it does. And so we had a great time hanging out with each other. But we go to this show, which is, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just the saddest situation I've ever been in. <laughs> it was, it was maybe, okay, it had this artist, it's in this, okay, it's in Buffalo, and it's in this little tiny ballroom thing. First of all, there's zero signage outside. Zero awareness by all the people walking down the street that there's fuck all going inside this this place that just, there's nothing welcoming, there's nothing bringing you in. Like, literally, <laughs> not a single sign. Then you walk inside, and it's a half-filled artist's alley and i wish you could see my air quotes and that artist's alley is full of crafters like little pixel crafters and stuff like it's a very anime heavy show i don't even want to call it a show it was a small gathering of a group of people and then you go into the ballroom where there's maybe six or seven tables with you know kind of anime pillows and some video game toys and a little bit of original crafty artwork. <laughs> the only comic books there were Source Point Press and Ramon Gill and Sal Otera. So I would say by noon on Saturday, which was the second day after Friday, right? Source Point Press had made $94. Being Source Point Press, that means they sold somebody to, something to everybody that walked in that room. Okay, <laughs> Anybody that came up to that table walked away having bought something. But only enough people attended this con to have bought $94 worth of comic books over a day and a half. Wow. It was, it was like it wasn't even open. Like when you walked into the room, you would say to yourself, is this on? Like, also, it was 30 bucks to get into this. Really? Like, it was 30 bucks to walk around for five minutes, maybe, and you'd seen everything. And wow. they touted all, all, the, all this stuff was going on outside on the street, like a petting zoo and all this stuff and a food truck kind of and a band on the stage. And they touted it like that was part of the show. But you could have just went and saw all that shit for free. It was totally just a Buffalo Street Festival that would have been going on whether the show did or not, right? So it was, it was just, it was a pathetically sad sham of a situation. And that's harsh, you know, coming from me because I hate to use this show for negativity. All I ever want to do is, is, is be positive, hold shit up. I don't even bother talking about the shit that pisses me off on this show, <laughs> right? Like I just pass it by and I talk about something good. I don't waste my time. But this show was so insulting and offensive, especially the way that, you know, the, the, you know, the promoters kind of reacted when, you know, presented with this situation was a shame. It was just, a oh, tragedy. Man. it was, it was really sad. And I, and the guys kept saying like, as, as nobody was coming to this thing, I kept saying to Levi and Josh, I was like, man, I, I can't believe I'm, I may get to be the part of the worst source point outing ever. And they were like, no, nah, man, you haven't been to, you didn't go to Atlantic city. 
So, you know, I'd heard the stories about Atlantic City, and they told me more, and it sounded pretty bad. Mm-hmm. This, this made Atlantic City look like a fucking party. And, you know, just just before I was saying to, to Levi, I was like, dude, this is so worthless. I can't, like, I left. I left Saturday afternoon. I was like, I am way too fucking sober to be here for this. <laughs> you know, I, I, I crossed the border into Buffalo. I ain't gets to have my cannabis, right? And, which I'm willing to happily give up to do these things. It's not like I need it. It's not that kind of thing. But I would have been there selling, right? Like, I went ready to sell. I was going to be like, you know, you're going to do it. I, I was going to do it. I was going to sell some goddamn comic books and there was just nobody to sell them to. So I cracked out and like, I was got, I got to fucking go. And everybody totally understood, you know, it's me. Of course I needed to get home, go <laughs> home and fucking get high. Cause it's driving me nuts. And Levi says, we'll have to finish. Cause source point has never not finished a show. It's just not in Travis's nature. Like right. part of our, our philosophy, no matter what we finish the show, not two minutes later, he gets a text, and I see him go, like, his jaw drops. And he doesn't say anything to me. He just shows me the text from Travis, and it says, we may have to pack up and split to make a point. And that was kind of crazy, because we had just been talking about how, you know, Travis would never consider packing it up. So Levi was like, I guess this is bad. I was like, dude, you guys are getting crazy hosed. Like, I won't even talk publicly about what the table fees were and shit, right? On top of a hotel and a 10-hour drive from fucking Michigan. Right. Because you can't cross the border because you can't bring your fucking comic books over the border <laughs> and then back over again. So they got to go the long way around. And I feel absolutely horrible about it. And, and that that's the story of Buffalo. And I should have known better because it's fucking Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. 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 Without, outside of Wings, that's pretty much the whole place. So completely ridiculous. We went to the place, uh, the Anchor Bar, which apparently is where they were created. Well, that's like cool. That, back in the day where the idea for using the those pieces and parts in a sauce came together. So that was kind of cool. But then we had a breakfast at TGI Fridays that was just insulting. So, you know, but I digress. Uh, I don't know why I got into that, but we were just talking about shows and shit. Um so Rotten Tail, we've talked mm-hmm. about people pay attention to that. Uh, the reason I hopped on getting Dave uh, on the show this week and, you know, finally getting off our asses and doing that. Right. Even though we're only a fucking Skype call away. You know, it's, it's, it takes so much. <laughs> <laughs> Moving heaven and earth. Well, this is actually the first time I'm recording the show in almost two months. Oh, wow. You've been busy. Uh, that- well, no, that's uh, that's because of Motor City Comic Con and the Great Philadelphia Comic Con. I in April and May, I got so much content out of those two shows that I didn't, I haven't had to record anything for like eight weeks. I've dropped like nine or ten episodes straight that were all from like those two shows. So it's pretty cool. But when I saw what was going on with you, I was like, God damn it. I've still got one more from Motor City. But God damn it, Dave Hayes has something to talk about. I do. A brand brand new Kickstarter. Yes. uh, Into a genre that I think needs a name at this point. Because it has been delved into so many times that I think it's become a subgenre on its own as far as Krampus, Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. You are, in fact, doing a, a, a new story called Kringle. I Tell am. us about Kringle, Dave. Uh, Kringle is a good. It's going to be a one-shot comic. Uh, 
you know, the the Kringle stories about 30 pages. We're going to have some other uh, fun stuff in there as well. But uh, Kringle is a Christmas revenge tale um, falling loosely into the uh, uh, Christmas or holiday horror subgenre. And uh, it's about Santa. Uh, who on Christmas Eve runs afoul of some partying millionaires in a plane. Uh, horrible, awful things happen to the reindeer and Santa's communication system. <laughs> he crashes in Hearth, Michigan, a little snowy town. While he is on foot going for help, uh, some rednecks poach the remaining living reindeer, and it sends Santa on a Rambo-esque magical vengeance trail of murder and mayhem into the town of Hearth. Ah. Uh. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I grew up. My one of my favorite movies of all time uh, was uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Okay, from yeah, uh, yeah. 1984, and I have, have been fascinated with Christmas and holiday horror. I mean, look at Rotten Tales. Is it was what we did to Easter? Um, yeah, Kr- Kringle yeah, right. is Christmas. Uh, just last year, Sean Seal and I came out with a, a fake kid storybook called Frostbite about a, a zombie snowman. And yes, that's right. Yeah. So I, I mean, this is in my DNA. I love, I love tearing up uh, traditional values. Um, anything that anyone holds sacred, I, I, I feel the need to, to poke and prod at it. And uh, Kringle does that. So they, with the Kringle book, that's what the art is by John Rodriguez, uh, who did a made-up zombie clown circus, uh, another source point book, uh, which is incredibly well done. We've got a backup story that's uh, written by myself and Greg Norris, who was a Star Trek Deep Space Nine writer. Uh, and illustrated by cool. Dan Gorman called uh, The Thought That Counts. And you'll never look at Christmas trees the same way again. Uh, awesome. This is going to be an original four-page frostbite story by Sean Seal and myself. Um, uh, a stretch goal is a 10-page uh, pinup gallery from different artists of just Christmas mayhem. Peggy Christie, author of The Vessel, is writing the foreword. Uh, and we got all kinds of cool tiers and T-shirts and things for the Kickstarter. It's the Christmas in July Kickstarter. It's only two weeks long, and uh, you know we're it's a very modest one, like fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, what's up with that? I've, I don't know if I've ever heard of a two-week Kickstarter. Yeah, well, I didn't even know you could do two-week. You could do two weeks. Um, we chose that because it's July. Uh, San Diego Comic Con is happening right now. Everyone is out and about doing their other things, and the the goal is really low. So we're just going to get in there, knock it out, and uh, get those finishing funds for it, and uh, hopefully right. expand on a little bit, you know, get, get it as big as we can to get some of those cool stretch goals and expand the book a little more. Because uh, when I this is my first Kickstarter ever. I've never done one of these before. What? Yeah, never done one. And uh, That's shocking. How have you not even, like, like uh, SourcePoint hasn't Kickstarted any of your books? No. No, wow. uh, either I've you know uh, you know fundraised to uh, on my own to put it together or paid for them, or uh, or the company's gone to halves with me. That's cool, man. Yeah, so this is the we're, we're trying it out, and uh, you know the the book is is this is just the finishing funds for the book, so you know it's already in process. And well, our- as sorry as we speak at nine oh nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Kringle: A Revenge Story is looking for $1,500, and it is sitting at 1280 Yes, it was, uh, I think, 1295 oh. when we started the podcast. <laughs> Who did you offend? I don't Who know. did you offend in the last hour? You've only been talking to me. Oh, Could... that's right. It was my pledge. I de-pledged. Oh, I figured. <laughs> Could be anyone. 
Could be. I could have pissed off anybody. Uh, I think you're going to be fine, though. You still got 10 days. To oh, yeah. No, we're good. So we're good. We're not even halfway there. We've got a, so, uh, con- congratulations. A, thank I, you. Even though I'll probably jinx that by saying <laughs> No, no. At this point, you know, I'll pay the 200 bucks. <laughs> you know, it's going nice, to finish. Nice. It's going to yeah. finish. Oh, oh it's going to finish. <laughs> so I'm really excited about this story, man. I'm really, really excited about this story. Yeah, we've got it a couple. sounds like a, couple... a crazy cool idea. I've You've heard of, like, Santa... I actually have we has Santa ever been turned into a badass action hero? No. Well, so yeah, sort of. Um, there was the uh, the oh gosh, it was a, a series of short Christmas horror stories. Uh, it was a film, it was a feature film, it was like an anthology film, and uh, Santa fought Krampus in that, which was pretty cool. Very nice. But uh, he's never gone all Rambo on somebody. This is that's this gonna is a, be so much actually, fun. I really can't wait, man. If anyone's interested beforehand, <laughs> there's an Santa. awesome book called Santa Steps Out by Robert Devereaux. And uh, Robert Devereaux is a, an extreme horror writer. He's just a legend in the field. And uh, it's called Santa Steps Out, and it's all about Santa, um, you know, making time with the Tooth Fairy and just doing horrible, awful things. And uh, it's a very good book. So you check that out before right. uh, before before Kringle. Huh. Isn't he kind of badass in that movie? Uh, what's that Jack Frost movie? Is it called Jack Frost? The cartoon. Oh, the um, cartoon. Do you know the one I'm talking about that came out just a couple years ago? No. And uh, uh, he would he would skate around. He had like a magic staff. And it was like his like ice staff. Hold on, give me two secs. I'm gonna try the EMDB very quick here. Was it not? Maybe it wasn't called that. I don't know, but I think Santa might have been kind of a badass in that. Like he was very lumberjacky. Hmm. Like he was a big kind of strong back guy. Whoa. Uh freeze frit frostbitten? That almost sounds like more of a a horror movie in itself, Frostbitten. Yeah, like like a zombie snowman or some shit like that. Who would ever think of that? <laughs> I can't remember, dude. It's driving me crazy. But this this was a cool movie because it had all these very unique interpretations of all the holiday representatives. Oh, and so were... was it called was it called Holidays? No. Because it's centered around Jack Frost. Jack Frost got created, and everybody was like, what the hell are you? And he kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, nature makes him, and all the they kind of have to come together as, like, a council. Hmm. And uh, it, it, it was an animated movie, a family animated movie, and it just came out, like, within the last ten years, I'd say. Because my kid had the McDonald toys. <laughs> And it's really weird that I can't remember, but I'll think of it at some point. You know, this is one of those cool moments on a podcast when there's a whole bunch of people listening who are just yelling out whatever right. the name of that bloody movie was. You but sons of bitches, way, think. Did you get real excited back in the day when Nightmare Before Christmas came out then? Uh, I know, I didn't. Uh, or is that, that not horror enough? That was uh, that was a little Tim burton That was That was kind of, uh, you got to remember, I'm kind of old. So when that came out, I was just on the cusp of that being too old for that or thinking I was. Okay. So uh, I found that later on. Um, I really got into, like like I said, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and the four sequels, um, which there there are, you know, five Silent Night, Deadly Night films. 
and wow. uh, uh, you know, Christmas Evil, um, uh, Better Watch Out is a great movie, and just you know, it's all it's all like crazy low budget independent stuff because no one no one mainstream was doing this. Mainstream Christmas movies were like Die Hard and crap like that. Right. Well, that's very exciting. Um, yeah, so people need to check that out. Yeah, I'm please really do. fucking excited for this fucking shit, man. Oh, it's going to be badass. <laughs> uh, one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, tail end of last year, we kind of got to perform together. Mm-hmm. And that was a ton of fucking fun, man. Like... I forgot how much I was an actor kid too. Like that's all I wanted to do. I was a little drama gothic drama kid all through high school. Right. Fat little drama kid with his <laughs> you know Edward Scissorhands, Robert Smith hair and my silver pants and <laughs> you know, the fact that I grew up to be some kind of fucking tree climbing lumberjack makes zero sense whatsoever. See, you wanna but, hear what's bad. I was yeah. that I was I'm older than you. So I actually right. walked into the barber with a VHS copy of Maximum Overdrive. And said, give me Emilio Estevez here. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Horrible. So uh, we have a mutual friend, yes. Jay Fosgett. Yes. Most regular listeners of the show will be uber familiar with Mr. Jay Fosgett. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a book, also from Source Point at this point called Dead Duck and Zombie Chick, and he wrote some radio plays uh, from the stories uh, and a couple new stories. And so these have already been produced, directed, and performed and recorded in Toronto. Uh, Allison Court, uh, good friend Allison, you know, helped direct that and everything. So those are going to be available in some way at some point. But at Fan Expo last year, we had the privilege of performing one of these episodes live at a panel. Yes, and uh, you played J.P. Rourke, I believe, or J.B. Rourke? Yeah, uh, I, um, something. Yeah, yeah, and I played uh, <laughs> French, Canadi- uh, French Canadian, uh, the uh, DJ uh, Lou Garou. Lou Garou. <laughs> Lou Garou, and uh, it was a fantastic time. Yes. Um, we had a, a good time doing the stories. Um, All I figured out out from that uh, escapade was they hired the wrong people for the actual radio show. I I agree. And and now I'm feeling bad instantly I said I agree because I'm sure the people who did perform those roles did an excellent job. I don't know if they weren't there. (laughs) (laughs) We were there and that was lots of fun to do. It was. It was tons of fun. I hope to get to do something like that in the future. It's actually made me consider – writing something to do like that, like writing some little plays that I could maybe put on the show or something. Oh, that'd be great. So, do a little you know, sound design to it and have all kinds of fun. Oh, we could have tons of fun. We could even crackle them up and make them like sound authentically like old school. We could all talk like this and tell stories about the good old days, right? <laughs> it's like you know, your 1920s when, explorer guy. Back when we were on that date, I remember me and Bessie went down to the riverside and we were enjoying a lovely picnic. <laughs> and then I got back from Tibet. And I have the head of a mongoose shoved up my <laughs> rear end. <laughs> Give me a brandy. Hmm. My favorite curve level was all the always the elephants from the Jungle Book. 
Remember how they were like military? It was like the colonel or yeah. the general or whatever. <laughs> and it's all like this. It was like, oh, So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll fucking write something and then maybe you can come on and maybe we'll perform something ridiculous together at some point. I'm up for it. <laughs> so, uh, you got so much going on the go. Uh, what's coming up? You got any shows you're doing? Um, yeah, well, I'll be at uh, Wizard World Chicago. Um, something I think we're going to be in Winston Salem as well. New York Comic Con's coming up. Um, bunch of books. Oh, you're works. coming to New York. I am. I am. I will see you in New York, my friend. Excellent. I will be there as well. And uh, yeah, I'm crazy, crazy, crazy excited about. It. I'm going to be doing, as I just discovered, uh, Fan Expo Boston. Okay, very cool. As well. Uh, so I'm really stoked about that because I've never been to Boston, and. And all the lovely source point pressers are going to be at Boston. Mm-hmm. And it's Fan Expo now, which is kind of weird because I'm so used to the one Fan Expo. I've been going to Fan Expo Canada, which is the one in Toronto, for like 15, 16 years. Right. And, uh, and you know, and now they're starting to have other ones and it's fucking weird, man. That means, weird. That means they run a good show. Uh, you know, they do all right, you know. They're not too fond of uh, certain particular podcasts gaining uh, press passes, but that's okay. That's all right, because my artist community always takes care of me, because they know that an elegant weapon is the voice of the creators, people creators, the in the <laughs> trenches, from Artist Sally. We're down there in the dirty, dealing with all you smelly bastards in your, in your Comic-Con alley ways. Um, I would like to, you're going to have to indulge me for a few minutes. <laughs> I'm, just, gotta, I'm just going over the, it's the people artists that you represent, not the dog yes. artist, the sloth artist, no, the people, people artists. <laughs> a few things are going on. I need to send out a huge congratulations to my very good friend, Aaron Broverman. Aaron Broverman is the host of speech bubble podcast. Uh, our sister Toronto podcast. If 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 we are the yin of podcast of Toronto comic book podcasting, he is the yang. Uh, he is an incredible, incredible journalist. Uh, does amazing interview work, but he's one of them. You know, I actually interview people types. You know what I mean? <laughs> Prepared questions, things class. like that. Yeah, he, he writes shit down. What no, the no, no. what? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's had amazing guests over the over the past couple of years he's been running. I'm very privileged to have been one of those guests. Uh, and uh, if you want to really get deep into in the minds of some incredible comic book uh, luminaries, you got to check out the Speech Bubble. Whereas my show is more like this: shooting the shit with guys like David Hayes and getting our asses into the alley. So a lot of our shows, if you happen to be a first time listener, if you go back in the catalog there. Uh, you'll find that we cover a lot of Comic-Cons, and it's a lot of uh, just giving a platform to the voices of the creators and uh, everybody sharing in that lovely audio goodness. Um, So he got married, is my point. All right. Uh, He got married to his lovely now wife, Britt. And congratulations, Aaron. Uh, That's fucking awesome. We're very, very happy for you. And glad that is going on. Like I said, I'm going to Fan Expo Boston. Uh, you just heard a bunch of places that David Hayes is coming up on. Uh, and we got one more left for you, kids. 
one more part of Motor City Comic Con 2018. That's going to feature a couple people that I believe you are familiar with. Uh, one of them is an individual named Dirk Manning. Uh, who? Whom, I've never heard of him. Whom with we always close out Motor City Comic Con. So, uh, who is this guy? Uh, Dirk, 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 Dirk who? Oh, Dirk Manning. He's like, he, he hangs out at all the shows and he's... Oh, the karaoke know, guy. Yeah, the karaoke <laughs> guy. He's kind of slick, you know what I mean? He's always got that weird twinkle in his eye. Yeah, he's like the Joe Pesci of comics. Exactly, exactly. It's also going to fo- uh, feature a chat with Anthony Rutgazer and the man, Dan the man, Dan the man Doherty, who had uh, the buzz book of uh, Motor City this year. Did you get your hands on a copy of Floppy Cop? I certainly did. <laughs> and I also, if, if anyone, uh, I was also quite pleased that the uh, Touching Evil hardcover Kickstarter funded as well. Yes, yes, yes. I, it's, you know, it's it's weird because we're always so happy for each other. You see all these Kickstarters go, and you know, when's the last time? I, I can't remember the last time I, I saw one not get funded within this particular kind of community. Hmm. You know what I, mean? I don't, I don't recall one. It's such Recently. a wonderfully, it's such a wonderfully supportive thing, and it's it's a constant endeavor, and people are always there to support each other. So, uh, you know, for all of you cats out there, who are constantly throwing what little shekels you have at these kickstarters to help make these dreams come true. Thank you, and make sure that you go to Kringle, a revenge story. Yes. On Kickstarter. Go there and check it out because there's stuff there that will give you a very good idea of how fucking awesome this book looks to be so uh again give a little shout out to all the others involved in the creating of kringle so many people well travis and josh at source point press of course rich bloom uh on the cover uh the interior john rodriguez is uh, the kringle artist jar of comics uh or at jar of comics if you want to talk to him dan gorman and greg norris of star trek ds9 fame with the backup story the thought that counts peggy christie's doing the forward sean seal and myself with a frostbite story justin birch is our ringo nominated letterer so let's uh push for him to ring win that ringo award in baltimore and uh that's it so far we'll have a list of, oh stan kanapka is doing a uh, sketch cards for the uh uh <laughs> The, uh, really? Yeah, for the for the um, awesome. uh, Kickstarter, so you can get a uh, Stan Kanopka original Santa Claus doing something horrific. I can only imagine from the mind of that <laughs> uh, sketch card with the Kickstarter. That's one of our tiers there. So yeah, all kinds of cool That's stuff. Awesome. All kinds of people awesome. helping out. As a side note, uh, after mentioning Stan the Man, you can't mention Stan the Man Kanopka without also mentioning the Rejected. Correct. The Rejected you is. You have uh... to check out the Rejected. It's incredible work. Uh, you know, issue two's coming up. Uh, I, Soon. Are we calling it issue two, or are we? I think it's it book two. two. I think it's book two. Is it book two? We're going with book. I think so. Book book is the apropos. Word chosen for the occasion by, uh, you know, the man himself, uh, Nemesis Studios. What, what? The words of Stan. Check out The Rejected and everything else wonderful in this world that SourcePoint Press has to offer. You got your Nora. You got uh, The Rot. Still available. 
Yeah, uh, it's, Family uh, Graves. Oh yeah, that's a good book. Out now, uh, it, it's Tim. Yes, right. I believe so. I, I, I yeah. don't believe I met Tim yet. Well, I'm just I just met him through uh, the onlineness of the interwebs the other day, and uh, we are setting up right now to get him on the show very soon to talk about uh, that book. So we're gonna make that happen as uh, as well as some others. So uh, kids. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the past, like, ten weeks of insane Comic-Con goodness, uh, incredible panels. Don't forget, we had Steve Whitmire, we had, uh, holy shit, we had David Bradley, I keep forgetting that, uh, Winnie the Pooh, the cast of Winnie the Pooh, so much good stuff, all the Motor City Comic-Con goodness, uh, Casey Pierce was on the show, Eric Gutierrez was on the show, as well, very recently, an Elegant Weapon scored an exclusive interview with the one and only Sex Lump. So you need to go back and you need to check out the Sex Lump. And, uh, oh, good God. And, and hear my chat with them. Have you heard that one? Uh, the, the chat? No, I, I avoid all things Sex Lump at this point. You should check it out. You no, should I will. check that one out. You know that I actually came up with the term Sex Lump. I do. All you right. are the origin of the term. Because is it that you were the Sex Lump? No, Dev is a Sex Lump. Dev is the sex lump originally. He just right. settles right. into himself and he's ripe for dicking. <laughs> I'm taking that one with me, buddy. Please do. Please do. She's a she's a ripe for dicking. <laughs> there you go, kids. Uh, the incomparable Mr. David Hayes. David, thank you so much for hanging out, man. I'm sorry it took so long uh, for us to finally do this, man. No, my absolute pleasure. Anytime. Uh, get online, kids. Go to Kickstarter and check out Kringle. Throw a few shekels and enjoy the book yourselves. That is all we are going to have this week on An Elegant Weapon. Take it easy.